Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. my nine foot homemade oak bar bucks in the basement for fans by fans all pirates talk my name is chris his name is craig we're sporting our yins hats that's yins with two z's three dynasties one brand yins finally one brand to rep all black and gold follow shop yins for new merch drops and giveaways and order online at shopyins.com. you can see the link in the show notes for high quality comfort lightweight materials and a new modern look for the black and gold. Made for Yins by a Yinzer, the proud sponsors of Bucks in the Basement. Chris and I alluded to this uh, this interview coming up when we had the last show to kind of talk about someone who has actually seen you know these rule changes that are out uh, being implemented. I also wanted to talk to him about you know just the players within the pirate system. Uh, bringing back uh, for I don't even know how many times it is now, but we'll bring him back as many times as he'll come on. The Spencer Smith on Twitter, uh, Pirates broadcaster down there in Bradenton for the Marauders. Spencer, how you doing today, brother? Craig, doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. And we we were getting into some real good conversations uh, as we were checking the levels here, and, and I didn't want to miss any of it, so we're just going to kind of jump right into it. And I we'll get the we'll get the not so fun stuff out of the way. Maybe maybe the rules because people uh, people are, are are on like so polar opposite sides of this. Uh, and some people like certain rules, but they don't like the other ones. They're like, oh, the pitch clock is fine, but you've got to let us have the shift. Um, but you've got to see this like um, even like last year. I know that they had brought in the uh, the robo umps and stuff. But they they're experimenting throughout the minor league. So, is there anything that you like? Let's just take it. We when we were talking beforehand, we were talking about how you guys use that pie to get away from the shift. They're not going to be using that as major league. But what did you think of it? And, and did you get a chance to talk to any of the players and stuff to see what they thought of it as well? Yeah, the general consensus among the players. Uh, at least uh, from a defensive perspective, middle infielders oftentimes felt that they weren't able to work runners leading off of second base as mu- as well as they would have been able to previously. Uh, also, it seemed that some guys were uh, struggling to get you know get over to cover cover second base quickly enough on stolen base attempts, uh, given the limitations of that the so-called pie slice puts in. Uh, what I saw on just a sheerly observational basis from the offensive side, meanwhile, there did seem to be a few more base hits up the middle than we saw previously, uh, given that shifting up directly up the middle behind the base prior to the pitch being thrown, given that that had been taken out of play. Uh, however, apparently the data, and I, I unfortunately, as we were talking off mic previously, I hadn't taken the, the time to look at 
the uh, hard data on that, but it, it sounds like that that actually wasn't doing very much to uh, to contribute to greater amounts of base hits up the middle that we had maybe seen prior to these ex- this culture of extreme shifting. So uh, that that rule, that experimental rule down here is probably what I would say maybe been the least favorable uh, experimental rule down here in the Florida State League. Uh, but again, it's on an experimental basis. They're still toying with it, as we've seen with the uh, with sort of the changes that the automated balls and strikes system has gone through. We went from the the full ABS last year to now full ABS a couple of times a week, and then challenged the rest of the series uh, this season. So it's again, it's all an experimental basis. I'm just curious to see how it's going to continue to unfold because the way the pie slice was <laughs> um, when it was implemented the second half of this season. It really didn't seem like a whole lot of folks care for it. Yeah, and and like you said, you, you I had you know read I think it was an article in, in Baseball America, and and maybe I'll 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 reshare this on Twitter when I when I share the uh, the podcast as well. But it it said that the the uh, the BABIP uh, across uh, low A with the pie actually went down, and and it wasn't like I wouldn't say it was like significant, but it was like you know like seven or eleven seven to eleven points. Um, on that so that was i I was very kind of like shocked by that but i mean with with baseball it's it's i think that they're trying to do some things to make baseball predictable but i think it'll show that baseball is not always predictable no certainly not and and there's so much of an element of uh call it luck call it chance call it whatever you will And, and our hitting coach mendy lopez down here made a good point to share this with the team throughout the season uh, that you know you you control your approach you control your mindset when you step in the batter's box there is little to nothing you can control though once that ball leads your bat and so with with that bad bit figure that you mentioned uh there there really is a, an element of uh you know again luck chance you really never know what's going to happen and who knows if the if the rules do stay the same next year we may see totally different numbers on that front you truly never know yeah and, and it's almost like it has to be more of a i mean everybody says like you know s- small sample sizes aren't great you know in baseball and maybe this is just one of those small sample sizes and like you said it's just going to have to play out um but i i do know that people are just you know I want to something you just said about, you know, you can't control where it goes. And and that's like kind of the counter argument to, you know, not taking away the shift is, you know, just just teach the hitters to to hit the ball, you know, all over the field. And my thing for that is, is that's I don't know if that's in everybody's game. I don't know if that's possible for everyone to do that. Oh, no, absolutely not. And I see that argument frequently on social media. Why do they stop te- teaching players to hit the ball the other way? Why do they stop teaching this and that? Well, I don't, for one, I don't think they've stopped that by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's just becoming so much more difficult for hitters with the so-called pitching revolution that we're seeing, you know, collecting data on spin rates and pitch shape, pitch design. I, I challenge anybody making those those comments to take a look at if they haven't already seen these. Uh, take a look at some of those pitching ninja overlays on Twitter. Uh, for example, showing a pitcher's, uh, let's say, 98-mile-per-hour fastball that'll, you know, maybe it's a sinking 98-mile-per-hour fastball that dips down in toward the toward the knees of a right-handed hitter uh, as opposed to, you know, say, his slider, which if it's a pitch that tunnels well with that fastball, that's going in the complete opposite direction at a lower velocity. And you sort of look at the overlays, and it kind of helps you appreciate 
the true challenge the hitters are against in what was already a challenging battle. It's, it's really no exaggeration to say squaring up the baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports, and that's become even harder. But with the way pitching uh, you know, design and pitching development has become revolutionized hitters, it, it just seems they are trying to play catch-up in many cases. So hitting ball where it's pitched, easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. And and it seems like a, a lot of these rules, I know that they're saying that it's, it's you know, for the entertainment value, to, it's to speed up the game, to you know, to provide, you know, more hits, more action, you know, different stuff like that. Um, but the one thing uh, that, you know, they're doing to kind of, I wouldn't say cut down on the action, but to make the experience shorter is, you know, the, actually enforcing a pitch clock. We we do know that there is a rule in baseball that there is a pitch clock. It's just that it's it's not been enforced. And now, you know, it's I, I don't think it's going to be as as quick as it was in low A, the one that came out for Major League Baseball. There's like an extra second added uh, to each with a runner, you know, on and 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 when the bases are empty. Uh, but what did what did you experience and, and what did some of the pitchers uh, what was their feedback on, uh, you know, the pitch clock being instituted? Well, my experience as a broadcaster, I know all my fellow broadcasters can back me up on this way shorter average game times. And that's reflected in my uh, column on my game notes that I update after every game. You look at the 2022 game times compared to 2021, the three plus hour long games are so few and far between. Uh, throughout 2022 21 that was the norm and those numbers may be bloated a little bit given that we were coming off the pandemic year a lot of pitchers didn't get sort of the in-game reps uh, that they would have gotten otherwise so there are other factors playing into that but the pitch clock certainly uh, has shortened and obviously the data backs it up has shortened the average game time and that's made for a much more exciting game i think and i i it was only half exaggeration when i told a fellow broadcaster earlier in the season when the pitch clock had just been implemented was I, the broadcaster, suddenly feel like I'm having to transition from calling a relaxing, slow, laid-back game of baseball to practically calling hockey, the rate at which the speed of the game changed. And, and I, I think it's a welcome change. I think it'll keep keep fans from sort of being lulled to sleep by the slow uh, game action, and, and there are other pieces that need to into place as well to help keep fans engaged in the game itself. Uh, but I think it's a big positive step in the right direction. Uh, I do think, however, that pitchers and defenders will will say differently in terms of the uh, pitch clock with runners on base given the uh, step off and pick off rule uh, you know you step off or pick off a third time during an at bat and don't get the runner out it's called a block uh, and then just the perceived uh, inability to hold base runners uh, as as well and as craftily as pitchers could prior to the pitch clock. Yeah, and I mean a lot of it's going against the pitchers, but but like you had said, and and it's that you know pitching has evolved so much that it's like kind of you know trying to get something instituted to get the the hitters and the runners you know back on even ground. I know a lot of people have said you know well then why don't you just move the mound back, you know raise whatever it would be. To kind of do that, but I, I could definitely see it being, you know, just a little bit different, a little bit more challenging for the pitchers. But I mean, I know that you obviously, as a broadcaster, saw more games than I did. But before we jumped on here, I said I, I went to four minor league games this year, and the one down in Bradenton was the only one where I saw a uh, a strike called on the batter because he wasn't, you know, back in the box in time. 
And then there was a ball called on the pitcher, you know, because he it, the pitch clock had expired. But it, it didn't seem like that there was, you know, too much of that happening. So, I, I mean, but maybe the pitchers uh, adjusted and were sped up. And who knows, like, in their heads to jump in there, how it would have affected them. Oh, yeah, big time. And I will tell you that shortly after the pitch clock was instituted early in the season, uh, there were violations galore, hitters and pitchers. It seemed almost every other at-bat. There, there was a batter being called for uh, being too slow to get settled into the box, and there were pitchers getting called for being uh, you know, too slow to get settled on the mound to pitch the ball. Uh, but once that initial adjustment period of you know, a window of a couple, three weeks, whatever, and we saw that number of violations committed by both pitchers and batters dropped dramatically to the point where it, it seemed by the time – Gosh, late July, early August, by the time that part of the year swung around, it seemed as if really the only pitchers who were committing those uh, those violations were rehabbers. As with any sort of rule change like that, there's an adjustment period, and once guys sort of got into the swing of it, uh, it, it definitely yielded those positive results, and we saw, we saw fewer and fewer violations to the point where seeing multiple games back-to-back-to-back without a single violation was not out of the ordinary. If you want to check out a Pirates game and just have a good time on a beautiful outdoor patio, they also have a very nice facility indoor as well. Patrick's Pub and Grill with Good Times Karaoke every Wednesday, 9 to midnight. Open mic every other Tuesday at 6 p.m. on that patio. It's wing day on Sunday with a special and... There is a special for a different type of beer or beverage each and every day. Check out their menu at patrickspub.org and visit them at 1207 Spring Run Road Extension. I took my family to the game out in Altoona uh, this past Friday and my daughter just kind of looked over at me and she goes, this game's going by really quick. Like these are getting quicker. So this is like her, you know, fourth game this year. So she was even recognizing it and... I think that's what it's catering to is is to like the I mean, believe me, I, I could spend all day at the ballpark. But the other part is when you're taking your kids and there's like so much time in between action and different stuff going on. Like, I don't know if they're as engaged uh, in the game. So I think that's where it's it was kind of more telling to me. And somebody asked me, like, what did you think of, you know, the faster times? And I said, I actually really enjoyed it because you know, there was always action. There was always something going on. And, you know, the game went by quick. And like I said, I, I'd stay there forever because I'm a huge baseball fan. But it, it was nice to, like I said, get home from Altoona at like 10 o'clock as opposed to like midnight if there was like a three and a half hour game. 100%. And with now in this pitch clock era, if you'd like to call it that, I would look down after calling what I felt was a long game. And lo and behold, the, the time of the game would be, say, two hours, 45 minutes. Whereas last season, I would look down after a long game and it would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that took three hours, 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and But 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 circling back around to what you said, Craig, just in terms of sort of uh, trying to help engage with that younger demographic, uh, I personally think this is a brilliant move, a step in the right direction uh, to decrease the amount of dead time, lull time between pitches, between plays, uh, increasing the amount of action, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to pay huge dividends. And we saw earlier in the season, 
uh, when that pitch clock was still fresh and new. Uh, I believe it was J.J. Cooper over Baseball America who was sharing screenshots of MLB TV broadcasts from around minor league baseball uh, that, you know, comparing first inning to ninth inning screenshots of the center field camera angle, fans behind home plate. 2021, behind home plate, it could be filled in the first inning, and by, by the eighth inning, everybody was gone practically. But 2022, he was looking at, I believe, similar ballparks, and, you know, first inning, jam-packed, eighth inning, generally most people were still hanging around by that point. So I think even though it's a, you know, anecdotal evidence, perhaps, I think that hints at a successful and well-received change. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the big thing now in stadiums and, you know, and parks, you know, across is, is the entertainment value. And it's almost like bringing in stuff to entertain people that isn't the actual entertainment product on the field. Uh, and and I saw like that it was just that everybody like you didn't have time to like you had to like run to go to the bathroom and come back or to get a drink or to get something to eat or whatever. Um, but you were still keeping your eye on the action because it was starting, you know, before it'd be like, OK, I can go to the bathroom, get something to eat and come back down and the pitcher's still warming up. Do you know what I mean? And it's and and now it, it was just like oh okay this is like we, you're sitting there and it's everything is like you don't want to miss anything I I I love the experience I, I I really did yeah yeah and this is something I took for granted growing up uh, as a young baseball fan uh, I gained an appreciation early on for watching old highlights and old uh, games you know say Pete Rose from the seventies or you know whatever wherever I could find a. Uh, you know, back in the day, DVDs, I guess, with, with old historical <laughs> moments on it, or uh, or even when I came searching on YouTube for fun historical moments, you watch a game from the 70s or, man, even the 80s, you know, you would see players wouldn't step out of the batter's box for very long, if at all, pitchers were boom, boom, get the ball, just about immediately ready to throw the next pitch. And our, our game had slowed to a point where it became at times really unbearable <laughs> to, to watch the amount of drag time between pitches and now i think it's been freshened back up to the point where you know fans are hanging hanging a little bit more on every pitch rather than okay it's going to be a while to the next pitch let's look down the phone let's uh and i'm not trying to be mr sourpuss old guy but in a in a very real sense you know those that lag time between pitches draws people's attention away and and it can sour folks on the experience in terms of how slow it can get yeah, I mean, it's it's just when and, and people will talk about like, oh, man, this this guy works like really, really slow. And, and so people realize it and point it out. And, and it's the games those I, I think people are maybe going to realize, OK, those are the games I didn't enjoy as much. I mean, if we won, of course, I'm going to enjoy it. But it was just like, man, like, why is it taking so long? And the guys, you know, with the shift going away not reaching into their pockets to look at like a card to see where they're supposed to line up for, you know, each count. Like there's shifting going on for each pitch and different stuff. So, I mean, it, it definitely, it just, it looked, I, I don't know. It, it, it just, it looks like baseball. And I think that once, you know, people get adjusted to it and, and just with any change, it, it just becomes, you know, what the part of the game is. I mean, I still hate the, you know, the quote unquote, you know, free runner on second in in the extra innings, but it's gotten to the point now that it's just like, okay, now I know that the game's going to end here probably in the next like, you know, 30 minutes or so. Uh, so I'll be able to go to bed instead of like, okay, am I going to be up till like one o'clock in the morning watching this game? So, I mean, 
And you're not using it for the playoffs. So in the regular season, I'm kind of indifferent about it now. Do I like it? Not really, but it's it doesn't take away from the overall experience for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I would fully agree with you on all those points. Yeah, and so, you know what, now we, we talked about the boring stuff, and now we got to talk about, actually, we'll get the upsetting stuff out of the way next, which is, you know, your 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 team season ended when it probably shouldn't have ended yet. And that, at least they should have had a shot for it not to end. You know what I'm saying, man? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I guess to, to fill in those who who may not have known the full circumstances of the situation. The Marauders came into the final day of the regular season, Sunday, September the 11th, a half game out of first place behind Dunedin. So basically what was needed for a Marauders postseason clinch was a Marauders win and a Dunedin loss. Uh, We had a rainy, seemingly out of nowhere, rainy Sunday afternoon in Clearwater. Clearwater and Dunedin, by the way, their ballparks are 15 minutes apart. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the region. Uh, bright, sunny, beautiful Sunday. Let's play ball. We got through about two innings, both of us. And both games go into a lengthy, lengthy weather delay. Classic late August, early September. Thunderstorm, rain shower, whatever. A couple hours pass. We learned the game in Dunedin has been canceled. And that mathematically rendered it impossible for the Marauders to make the postseason, if, even if they had gone on to win their game. So Marauders game got canceled as well. Uh, Don't even celebrate it. And understandably, a lot of folks are very upset. From my perch way up there in the broadcaster's booth, you know, somewhat far removed from it. Uh, I barely shook my head at it quite a bit as well. I I didn't see it as the right way to end the team season. And if there really was a scenario uh, for a quote-unquote wait all day if we have to for a, a window to play, that was the one. And, but, you know, could have, should have, would have really not at a point where we can change anything right now. I've been even now in the postseason as we speak. Uh, but, uh, yeah, an unfortunate way to end the season, really. But I think uh, given the Marauders players who will return to the roster next year, at least to start the season, and then those who are uh, joining the roster anew from, say, the Florida Complex League once 2023 rolls around, I think there's going to be – uh, you know, around the clubhouse, there's going to be a uh, a hunger for a postseason berth, uh, knowing the way things turned out this season, uh, to try and turn around the fortunes for next year. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, it's just really frustrating for the players. It's frustrating for the fans because, I mean, what people don't understand is, I mean, I'm a huge fan of minor league baseball, but there's people that are just a big fan of the Marauders. They They may not even be like, Pirates fans. They they're just Marauders fans. There's people when I go out to Altoona that are just Curve fans. It's like, who's your favorite major league team? And they're just like, Well, I don't really watch Major League Baseball, but I, I love the curve. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a different thing because I, I know a lot of times, you know, up here, up in Pittsburgh, you know, the big message is is, you know, these minor league championships, they don't matter, like records don't matter. It's all about just certain players' performances, but I mean, tell that to the players and the fans because I I think they would be telling you something completely different. Those do matter. Yeah, so try telling the players and the fans and try telling the coaching staff that too. I had a really good conversation with our manager, Jonathan Johnston, before the season. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I asked him during our conversation was, you know, what in when you really dig into a minor league clubhouse, a minor league team in terms of the day-to-day grind, Onlookers, fans, evaluators, whatever, they're, they're well aware of the fact that player development is the ultimate goal uh, throughout this minor league journey. 
but uh, winning has to fit in somewhere, right? And that's essentially part of what I asked him. And he, and he said, yeah, even though you know we're working on player development, part of developing players is establishing a winning culture. And, and so these wins are not by any stretch of the imagination meaningless. And you know the players, no matter what level they're playing at, they're playing to win the games. They're playing. They're competing to the fullest. And you know, building that winning culture uh, is just such a crucial part of what goes on from the, from rookie ball, from the complex leagues, all the way on up to AAA. These guys want and need to win together uh, so that as they make their way up the system, ideally, in the, in the parent club's eyes, they're going to continue to do the same. Yeah, and and that's that's what we were you know looking forward to and and hoping would happen. And and this year just it didn't work out you know great for. Uh, the pirate system kind of across the board, but it, it, like I said, for for me, it's when people say stuff like that, it's like, well, no, it it actually does matter. And and when we were talking beforehand, you said that you know that half game out, but there there were some times that you know they could have done something to help themselves to not be in the position that they were in. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's it's definitely a frustrating thing. But uh, let's get into the positive stuff here, man, because we talked. The first, I think it was the first time we ever talked. It was, you know, when the the minor leagues were, uh, you know, being constricted and 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 they were, you know, taking away those other levels and different stuff. And and we were going to try to see how, you know, promotions and different stuff was going to evolve with just basically going from the Florida Complex League to Low A, which in the past would have been the Florida Complex League to Greensboro. But you had like you know the stops at Bristol, West Virginia, and stuff, and in between. And I said, you know, we would have never seen, you know, Termar Johnson at low A any time before a year like this. Right. And to be totally transparent, I 100% was not not expecting to see him uh, in a Bradenton uniform this season myself. Uh, so lo and behold, we get the roster moves from player development between games of a doubleheader. Imagine my shock and surprise, yes, but at the same time, uh, just instant excitement. You know, I, I got that move, and uh, we, we start to pump the move on social media saying, hey, the top, the number four overall pick in this year's draft is just joined the Marauders. He's 18 years old and has a sweet-looking swing. And, uh, yeah, and, and sure enough, he made a real splash. And I think um, even though it's this move by Major League Baseball once it took control over MILB, to eliminate those intermediate levels, taking out the Bristols and the West Virginias of the world, uh, and then making it so that there is no intermediate step between the complex leagues and low A. Uh, it has necessitated some adjustments on the parts of player development uh, for every organization, uh, but it's also led to some fun, splashy moves like Jamar Johnson joining the Marauders uh, late summer this year. And, and some of these moves throughout the baseball, some are not going to work out as well as others. Uh, but when when they do work out, I think uh, especially at the time of year when crowds maybe start to dwindle a little bit with kids going back to school uh, late August, early September, depending on, uh, you know, regionally what the norm is, uh, you know, getting that top prospect or getting that exciting young prospect uh, onto that roster late season could in some cases provide a little bit of a push and more buzz and excitement in the community around the team. And that's, a, that's some of what we enjoy here in Brinkton. Yeah, and, and you missed out on Henry Davis last year. They skipped you last year, so they, 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 they threw you some scraps this time. They're like, you know what? You didn't get to see Henry when he debuted. You know, he had, went up to Greensboro, but we'll, we'll give you Tamar. And, and like you said, it's it, it, to me, like, people were just like, 
you know, some of the struggles and different stuff he had in the complex league and, and even in, you know, just his short time. But just looking across his stats, I mean, I'm my biggest thing when I look to a young player, I look at the, I looked at the base on balls and the strikeouts, especially in like such a pitcher friendly league um, as the Florida State League. 10 walks, 13 strikeouts in uh, 53 plate appearances. To me, when they're saying he has an advanced approach, I think that's showing already even in that small sample size. Oh, 100%. And I can tell you from personal observation that you see Tamar Johnson step to the plate, you would not think he's 18 years old playing against, in many cases, advanced uh, college pitching, which we saw a lot of later in the season. Uh, and just the fact that he stood in the box so confident and so poised against, in many cases, much more experienced pitchers. Uh, that's both volumes to where he's at as a hitter, as an overall player, uh, and, and as a teammate. I had a chance to talk to him a few times. He, he's such a kind, thoughtful young man. Uh, he's going to be a clubhouse leader in the future, guarantee it. And uh, just to see the, the talent on the field between – uh, the walks, the low strikeouts, the sneaky power, the gap power, the smooth-looking swing, uh, it, it's all there. It, you know, Despite the low numbers and that small sample size in the FCL, uh, he was ready for, for that next step, and I'm glad that Pirates player development made that move. I know a lot of folks, uh, while excited, sort of raised some question marks, and rightfully so. I mean, you look at the batting average well below 200, and that's what the average fan kind of gravitates towards, but it serves as a reminder. He, there, it's more than meets the eye sometimes. You know, there, as, as you and I talked about earlier in this conversation, you know, element of bad luck once in a while, small sample sizes. Uh, you know, player development can identify things beneath the surface that other folks can't, and that's why these people are in the position they're in uh, to make the evaluation that they do. And I think the numbers in this uh, also small sample size for Johnson, uh, you know, prove them right in their – evaluation and their gamble to bump him up. He had 275, 396 OBP, 450 slugging. Uh, you know, he, he was not only capable, he was very good in the Marauders order. For anybody that doesn't, please go follow uh, the Spencer Smith. Uh, follow the Bradenton Marauders. Uh, get out there uh, once the season gets going again. Um, I know that uh, AAA uh, is still going here, but get as much baseball in as you can. Spencer, thanks for coming on again, brother. And we're going to have to do this shortly. Absolutely, Craig. Thank you again for having me on. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day.